What's happening, everybody? This is Todd Wilson with another episode of Elevate Your Game. Today, we have husband, father, former Division I coach, current pastor, current athletic director of Heritage Christian School, three-time cancer survivor, coach, pastor, whatever you want to call him, this is Mike Johnson. Mike, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah, absolutely. We, we love to start the show off with, uh, if you look at our wall of movies, basketball movies, what's your favorite movie up here and why? Well, Blue Chips is a classic, and I actually had a couple of my former players play in that. But I'm going to go with Hoosiers. I'm a white guy. Went to school in Indiana, <laughs> Purdue, so I'm definitely going Hoosiers. There you go. That that makes the most sense. <laughs> it's a, a great classic. Um, I, I, it's probably one of the most, like the first time it was a believable basketball movie. Think, For sure. So. It was really good basketball. Like it, a lot of times when you watch a basketball movie, the basketball is terrible. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I can't watch this. Hoosiers, Blue Chips, for me, was ones where you really believe they were playing basketball. Right. Not not like an above the rim where the guy threw it to himself on the outlet and dunked the ball. No. Like stuff like yeah. that. It's pretty no. funny. All right. Um, awesome. So um, we're just going to hop right in. And I, I just want you to talk a little bit about yourself and your experience. I've heard so many stories that you've told me over the years with your experience being a Division I college coach. And now today, how long has it been since you've been a Division I coach? Uh, 2008, so it's 15. 15 years. What has changed over that time? What What were the good things, you know, during that time? What has changed and what has stayed the same? Yeah, I think I was a, you know, a, a, a small point guard out of Ohio. Loved basketball. It was my whole world, kind of like these kids today even. Um, and my coach was the biggest influence in my life. Um, I didn't have a father, and he was the guy. Uh, hard and easy. He could rip me in a practice, and then I'd sleep on his couch. Um, so it was a really important figure in my life. And he knew that I just wanted to continue to be in basketball, and I'll never forget. He just said to me, never let him take the ball out of your hands. Mm. And I was like, okay. Um I want to keep playing. And he was like, I just want you to know. And he was just always a really honest guy. He was like, I think you're too short and too white right now. <laughs> and he was like, I think just be a coach. You have a coach's brain. So I literally chose, chose Purdue University because they were number one in the country when I was coming out of high school. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go there and just suck in as much knowledge as I could. And I went there for four years. I just did whatever I could. I was a manager a couple of years, but I also then just developed this stat system under Steve Lavin, who was a graduate assistant there. And again, he kept saying, go get computerized. And I was like, I'm sorry, it was 1989. And I was like, yeah, I was like, so that's what it was. It was analytics. Like I would report how many fast break points, how many turnovers, this, that, and the other, plus minus before plus minus was really a thing. And then when Steve left Purdue to come to UCLA, he really helped me and was influential in me getting the job at Cal State Northridge, who had just gone Division One. And I was at Northridge 10 years um, with Coach Pete Cassidy and Coach Bobby Braswell, and we built that thing up, went to the NCAA tournament. I left, ended up at UC Irvine a year, USC, back at Cal State Northridge, and then really transitioned into high school where I you know, got to know you. I think for me, the biggest change is we would run plays in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s to get a big man a bucket at the basket. Yeah. Now it's almost weird. Like I remember my first practice at Heritage, we ran a ball screen up top, point guard gets all the way in, and he's got a zero footer, and he 
kicks it out to a six nine guy for a three and i was like why would we not just take the zero footer and now you know that was a real adjustment for me these four four years of coaching at heritage is you know it's just a different game and so being able to be flexible and to, to learn yeah what these kids are doing there's a balance of learning those fundamentals and just basketball right some things about basketball never change and then adapting to the way the kids are training the being developed the way they see the game on tv and highlights and all that thinking that this is how the game's supposed to be played and allowing them to grow through that but understanding um that a layup's a layup the two points that you get an uncontested layup is always the number one go-to now an uncontested three has moved higher up in the list over, for sure over time now right. with the ability for kids to shoot but um I want, I want people, people to know as long as you've been doing this, it's like that part of basketball should never change. <laughs> I don't care. Zero footers, zero footers. Hey guys, as much as I trained you on the step backs and, and the hezzies and the, all that kind of stuff, layups are layups, uncontested twos come first. All right. Regardless of what you see on TV, that is the truth. And so um he reminds me of that often he's like hey it's great i want to get this guy recruited but uh he has to make a layup first <laughs> like that's it he has to make a layup over somebody first and so i always appreciate your uh, you know just your transparency and, and making sure that we're developing these guys the right way the landscape of recruiting in basketball so uh, i know you, you've helped you've recruited players and then you've helped kids get recruited not just basketball but many sports what is the best insight you can give to parents in this time who think their kids are division one um and maybe they're they're not yeah i think education early in the recruiting process is a big thing like i think especially in basketball especially in boys basketball the landscape is everyone's division one right i was in vegas watching our guys play a couple of weeks ago and every kid there thinks they're going to get a division one scholarship and the fact of the matter is very few are like, I think it's like 3% of all players in the country get to go to college on a basketball scholarship, let alone a division one scholarship. Yeah. Um, and so educating yourself on what the reality of what real recruiting is. And I'll give you an example of that when I was at USC, we would put guys on lists as we saw them play, but then our, 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 our assistant or secretary or whatever you want to call her at that time, would send out three to four letters to these kids every day. Well, 250 to 300 kids were getting two to three letters a day from USC, and they all probably thought they were getting recruited by USC. Right. But the fact of the matter was we were recruiting eight. And so it probably did mess with all the other ones and then mess with the, but knowing what true recruiting is. And I think I've kind of narrowed it down to when you hear from the head coach for the first time, hear from him, not a letter. Right you now know you're being recruited. Right. right. And so I think just the education process, getting out in front, not buying into all the hype all the time, but knowing what true recruitment is as opposed to fluff or just getting a letter because you played in Dinos' thing in Long Beach. Right, right. I think that's important because a lot of these players now do speak with the assistant coach. Mm -hmm. And we need to know that, you know, part of the assistant coach's job, and it's heavily weighted on this, is getting the top recruits. So, sure. of course, they're going to have a bunch of kids that they're speaking with to recruit. What should they be listening for from the assistant coach, knowing that it's going to lead to a discussion um, with the head coach? Yeah, and I think ask for that. Hmm. Right? Yeah. I, I always tell anyone, any kid that I'm working with, like, ask what the depth charge is. Ask what else, 
who else is being recruited in your position and especially in your area because then you'll have an idea all these LA kids all these Southern Californians know each other mm-hmm. ask ask for that and then you'll know if you're being really recruited and then ask to speak to the head coach if the head coach gets involved then guess what you're being recruited or they're at least above mildly interested in you yeah. if you can't get a call from the head coach you're not being recruited you're on a list of probably 15 and you might be 13th to 15th and they're keeping you warm in case all of these pop off and then you rise up which does happen sometimes but right right what about kids when should they really think about um, accepting an offer and really starting to narrow down a list if they're being recruited um you know some kids are waiting to get into a certain level um a certain level of basketball is there a perfect time to say yes to a school well Here's what I'll say. You never say no to a school because you want options in life, right? That's not just basketball. That's everything. Right. So we we want to keep options for our guys because then that gives us collateral and leverage moving forward to at least say maybe in the league, I'm being recruited by someone in your league. So we never say no. I think, again, the landscape has changed a little bit too. When I was coaching 15 years at a high level, when we offered, we really meant it. And now I think there's a lot of show offers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, again, when we meet with our guys at Heritage, uh, okay, we just got an offer from wherever. The next question is, who offered you? And have you talked to the head coach? Is that real? I think if it's a real offer and you're going into your senior year, um, or really the summer of your senior year and it's somewhere, then you got to get on that campus. You got to see it. And if it's real in this landscape with the uh, with the portal and everything for a high school kid, you got to think about taking that sooner than later. Right, right, and that gets your foot in the door for one part. Other is there's not that many opportunities, and the longer you wait, the less of an opportunity because there's more kids coming behind you. And you know, every kid who's being recruited and offered has worked hard, has has the academics, and that's why you're being recruited. Right, you're not the only one. Getting, getting the grind in, especially today where everybody has a trainer or in the gym and has that opportunity. So I just, I thank you for saying that because I like kids to hear that because yeah. everybody thinks that they're the exception. Um, you are an exception because you're being recruited. For sure. <laughs> just period, right? By any level right. of basketball. So yeah, I just, uh, that that's interesting. So uh, you've, you've coached on multiple levels. Who's the best college player that you ever coached? The best college player I ever coached I mean, Desmond Farmer was really good at USC, but I think overall we had a kid at Cal State Northridge who ended up being a second-team All-American who I recruited out of Eugene, Oregon, Sheldon High School, um, big 6'10", uh, legit five, but he could trail in the, in the secondary break and hit threes, and he was probably overall the best player. His name was Brian Heinley. He ended up going over overseas um, and playing, I think, 15 years. Like, oh, wow. I, I think I, we were texting a couple weeks ago. And I, I think he had just retired like a couple of years ago. And he went on that NCAA tournament team on 2001 that lost to Kansas in the first round. And I think overall, when you look at a four-year um, career, Brian Heinley. Nice. Okay. What about high school? The best high school kid you ever coached? Well, Sky Clark. Best. <laughs> and to be, if I was really clear, because you said you, you pigeonholed me on college on that last question. I, I think Sky is the best player I've ever coached at any level Regardless of and he was a sophomore when i got the privilege of coaching him the dude was just a freak what he could do 
his maturity level for 16 or 15, whatever it was at that point, was unbelievable. Um, he could, he was coachable. Like so many of these five stars, it's pretty hard to coach. He would really, he was the guy that at 1030 at night, I'd get a text and it was a scouting report and he'd want to know what, I just watched this coach Johnson. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah. And we would go through that. And I think that kind of stuff separated him. Um, but that was the funnest year. Maybe I know we went to the state semifinals, maybe one of the funnest years of my 35 year coaching career, just because of coaching that kid, like yeah. it was special. Kid sophomore mixtape is ridiculous. I, <laughs> I, I listen, I might be a little biased because I've known him since he was 10 and working with him, but I look at some of the top high school highlights. Austin Rivers is up there. Aaron Gordon. There's some like really ones that people talk about. Sky Clark sophomore mixtape. Ridiculous. Dunking on people, crossing everybody. Up. The, the night in the Donald's, playoffs yeah. that he got 51 at Michigan. Oh, yeah. And we're That's on not bench. on film, by the way, right. for whatever reason. Right. No one has filmed that. <laughs> There was a fight. It was a great night. Like everything went down that night. But Sky literally had fifty one in a, a unbelievable atmosphere of Mission Viejo had a great student section. They're yelling uh, overrated to Sky early in the game, and by the end they're just sitting over there. And I was just literally like blown away and mesmerized that night. Just him knocking down shots. Oh, yeah, that's that crazy. Good stuff. That was a good night. Yeah, good stuff. Um, so. What do you watch the NBA at all yeah. now? Yeah. Okay, so now if you experience coaching NBA, what would you tell kids and their family that they can take and learn from the NBA since they watch the highlights and things so much? They don't watch college basketball where they're trying to go. They watch the NBA the highest level because that's where they're dreaming of going, which is not a problem to dream. What skills and things can they take away from the NBA game to apply to their game now, to be on the road, to being recruited, even for college, and try to be a pro later? So it's really funny. I was thinking about this yesterday because I know the training you do with our guys, and I know what high school has turned into. But there's high school training and basketball, and then there's pro, and I think they're actually similar now. And I feel like college is the one that's still kind of stuck in my my air mm -hmm. where it's um still kind of there's positions one two three four and five like i'm talking to a coach from utah state yesterday he's looking for a five or a four yeah and when you talk about the pros you don't really say that if we we even say five or four in our school gym it's like cussing <laughs> um so there's this gap where you kind of got to get ready for college and then maybe you hope that it translates but i think in answering your question i think Playing hard never goes away. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if the kids, when they watch right now, understand how hard it is to play in the NBA Man. and what those guys are carrying around, what the, what the, I know they load manage and that's different from, you know, 10 years ago even. But to, to just know how hard they play, but shooting now has just changed. Steph Curry changed the game. Yeah. Like, that's why I think Steph Curry is, he's a top five guy now of all time because he literally changed the game like Michael did. Yeah. Um, to where now when we walk into the gym, even the four and five guys are standing out just firing up threes from 23 feet instead of 19 because they think that they can do that. Or when you run a summer camp, the eight-year-old's coming down. He's not going down and working on his layout package. He's literally just shooting threes. So I think shooting it obviously never goes away. I think just playing hard is valuable and underrated. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. We, uh, we ran into Don Showwater, the – director of USA Basketball last weekend down at the UYBL 
and that was the one thing I was asking about a couple players. What what do they need to do to improve? Right. What would help them make the team? And that was the number one thing he said. It's like they he just needs to play hard every possession. Right. That's the one thing. He's like he's talented. He talks. He does all these. Like, he's skilled. He can shoot. He does all these things. It's like, but he disappears just because of the effort that he puts forward. And I don't think he knows that he's not putting effort in. That's the crazy part is these kids don't know that they're not putting effort in because they don't know what it looks like because they're not they're not watching the right things, you know. And that's a you know for you trainers out there and for coaches is like teach that teach effort you got to show them what that looks like because for us growing up we didn't have a choice kind of it was <laughs> like that was the culture is like no if you if you're not working hard you're not even going to be in the gym on the team yeah, nowhere yeah you're, you're go play in the park if you're today kids get away with it because we're looking to get kids in the gym like oh we, we're running these club teams that you know six seven teams or whatever it is and so kids get away with being lazy and not putting forth effort and um parents too i want to how they how you do anything is how you do everything so playing on the court translates to how you clean your house how you do your homework and focus on your academics how respectful you are like i really love the connection of basketball and life so much and i don't think parents get that it's give your kids responsibilities it's kids who've never swept the floor right it's kids who never wash dishes or wash their own clothes like stuff like that to me is like you're not you're not giving them you're not getting them ahead that way right awesome so um it sounds like you've been a lot around just with basketball everything that you've done in there um i think the biggest thing that uh i honor about you is that you beat cancer three times three times three times and so uh and how long in, in a span of what three and a half years three different cancers man that is uh it's amazing uh i've seen you fight through the last two for sure, um, and just your resilience and positive mindset, and um, even when you're not supposed to be somewhere, <laughs> you're there. Right. And um, your just commitment. Uh, um, what What was that experience like? How did that drive you to be better? And just share, you know, your experience. Yeah, my life. first one was uh, kidney cancer, and um, it was a surgery. So remove half your kidney. You know, you're out a month do a little bit of treatment afterwards and you're, you're good. Second one is a similar, um, cancer and I'm diagnosed literally a year later with prostate cancer. And they're like, okay, you're going to have surgery, a little bit of treatment and you're good. And then this year, September, my numbers come back and they're like, your prostate cancer is bad. And this time it's going to be more of a fight. You got to do radiation. You got to do chemo. You got to do hormone. You got to do all this stuff. And that was a much harder one. I mean, I'm still doing treatment and there's still days where my legs just are like jello and food doesn't taste good. And, you know, you're still in the fight, even though you're cancer free and I have to do treatments for like a year. Um, but you kind of have a choice. Like your <laughs> my first cancer, you know, you're going to fight. Second one, I'm pissed. I'm like, no one should have to do this twice. I'm going to fight. I get the news last September and I'm like, I'm out. I don't want to do it. I'm tired. I don't, I'm losing. I joke. I have the worst weight loss program in the world because I just keep losing organs left and right. And I really couldn't find the will for like a month. I couldn't do it. And my wife, I think, was getting a little bit worried. And, you know, we're, we're, we're a Christian family. We believe in Jesus and we believe he's going to heal. But I, I think I was angry 
at God and I was angry at just the situation and I knew that it was going to be really hard. And I couldn't find the motivation. And uh, one day I was leaving the office early from Heritage. And I didn't go to basketball practice that day. And all of a sudden I see all our guys running out. And I went into AD mode. I'm like, what are these yahoos doing? Like, what are they doing? And all of a sudden they run down to me. And they start jumping around me. And they're going 3-0, and 3-0, oh, 3-0. And, oh, and, oh. and, you know, that was an emotional moment. And they were like, we're here for you. We're going to do this. We're, this season's for you. And I was like, okay. And I got in my car and I was like, gosh darn it. Now I don't have a choice. I got to do <laughs> it for you, these guys. Why. Yeah. And so I tried really hard. Our theme was we do hard things because I think you talked about it earlier about, you know, basketball makes you a better citizen if you, and, and all that stuff. Well, life is hard. Hard being a husband. It's hard being a parent. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always issues you're going through. And so I had a choice. Am I going to be a whiner or are we going to do hard things? So I think we kind of adopted the, the saying, we do hard things for the basketball season. There was a point I kept trying to coach. And there was a point, I think we beat Village Christian. It was a great win at home. And I got home and I had 101 degree fever and I'm throwing up blood. And my wife's like, you're out. And I'm like, I'm not out. And the next morning she let everything calm down. She was like, I need you to just get better and just be a cheerleader from afar. So I stepped back, but the boys were still my inspiration. Like they would come into the office. They would be like, Hey, well, how are you doing today? And I would get texts from them. And, um, you know, they were a big part of it. And I really believe in some ways basketball saved my life this year because I wasn't ready to fight. And then, you know, you commit, over my over my desk, it says developing men of purpose, and that's really my motto. And I felt like, okay, I can't leave these guys. They're going to be watching, yeah. and I got to be a strong man here. And so even though I didn't want to, they were kind of my motivation. Even on the sick days, you're throwing up. We were at the Damien Terminate, and it was in between quarters or I mean half, and I'm like throwing up in the locker room, and I'm like, I don't think I should stay. <laughs> um but I saw them watching and I was like, okay, they're watching. Like I want them to know that life's going to be hard. And as men, we do hard things. And so, you know, I'm cancer free again, still doing some of the treatments for another year, which stinks. So I have a bad week once a month, but overall we're happy. We're, we're, we're blessed. Yeah. I'm going to live. Yeah. No, awesome. It's uh, we do hard things like that mantra, you know, I heard it throughout yeah, the whole yeah. thing. And, um, it even helped me just like watching your journey and you kept us updated on kind of what was happening on Instagram or just talking to you and um, you, what I loved the most is you were transparent about it. I walk into the office and say, Hey, how you doing today? I feel like crap. Right. And I'm not having a good day. And it's right. like, all right, what do you need? Right. And to even remind you, Hey, you probably shouldn't be eating that. Yes, Molly. <laughs> He's eating stuff people shouldn't have. <laughs> and um, um, just to see you, like you said, push through that right. like it meant I think it meant so much to just the whole community seeing you do that and seeing where you are like you wouldn't even know right you know just speaking to like did you know that Karina just like yeah. <laughs> I had yeah. to stop looking at her she, <laughs> she was, you know, started looking at camera three here I'm like I'm not looking at her anymore and um so I, I think that's awesome to just continue to overcome things in your life um you've just told me so many stories about everything that you've been through and where you are today and to most importantly glorify God through it all right. and to just love people through it is like, man, that's life. Like right. you're, you're keep on going. And it's just like, it's, it's 
literal inspiration to watch you doing that. So uh, tell you in front of the world if you didn't already know. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah. Um, what is, what would you say, what principle besides doing hard things and all those, is there a principle within that that you can share with the people and, and mostly the kids, right? As they go through adversity and controversy and things in their life, what principle would you give them through that experience? I think don't quit. Like you're going to get knocked down. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have setbacks. Um, you know, it's similar to what my coach said to me. Don't let them take the ball out of your hands. What does that mean? Okay, I didn't get the Division One look I like, but maybe it's a Division Two or Division Three, which is a high level. Yeah. Like I think somewhat, and I'm, that makes me sad about our current high school um, basketballers, and not just the heritage, but overall is man, they think it's Division One or bust, and they have no idea because they've never been to a Division Two or Division Three or NAI game, and you're like, holy cow. <laughs> um, that's a whole nother level that I, maybe I'm not even ready for. Yeah. Um, but don't quit. Like it, it, life is, I'm 54 now. Todd has the record of calling me old more than anyone that I've ever known in my life. He holds that record. I think it's at like 32. He's like this old guy or this, you're old. You're 102 in basketball years. Yes. So, um, But at 54, I've learned you're going to get totally knocked down a lot in life. Um, you know, just things aren't always going to, so you have a choice, get up off the mat or quit. And I don't think quitting is an option if you want to succeed in life or if you want to do things with excellence in life. I, I think that's extremely important and even more important to clarify the quitting part because I hear, so what if somebody, I'm D1. You're talking about not quitting basketball, not quitting your journey to division one, playing basketball is a gift. I think all of uh, kids hear that as like, oh, no, that's my dream. So I'm D1 or bust. But no, don't quit on the the real substance of what we're doing, which right. is playing basketball. Right. That's the same thing for me. I stay connected through basketball, through training, core, being able to do all the you know, training, pros or whatever. To me, I'm in the NBA. Right. I know most of the NBA players. I can say what's up to them. Right. I'm, I'm in the game still. And for other people who had those dreams, I think it's important for them to understand it's not about not quitting that goal or changing your goal to stay with what really makes you happy about it. It's probably just being around it. That's to me when I was out in January, February, that's what I missed the most. Just being around the fellas. Yeah. Um, and, and missing that. So I think you're right. I mean, you played at which division one? I didn't. Oh, that's yeah, what I thought. College. Yeah. Right. I so, tried out at CSUN, didn't make it. Right. I probably cut you. Sorry. And that was before you. Oh, no. I don't know. No, it was Brad Swaps last year. Were you the coach then? No. So, thankfully, I didn't. <laughs> right. I didn't. I didn't. I Thanks. Think I cut you. <laughs> but you're like living proof between not quitting, hustling, knowing exactly what feeds your heart. You know, jobs are jobs, and everyone's got to have a job eventually. Man, if you can keep a job that you have passion about and that there's something that gets you up every morning. Um, for me, it's right now it's coaching high school kids. Like, I love it. Um, because you can make an influence and yeah, they're knuckleheads and they don't always listen and they may be very immature and their parents have an opinion, but when you do get through and you get to see them succeed, man, does that make you feel good? And that's the same passion, like you're saying that you get through working with NBA guys that I had recruiting 15 years ago. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. 
Um, all right, so this is a segment of our show we like to call My Rushmore, okay? It's going to be Coach Johnson's Mount Rushmore, his top four coaches of all time, basketball coaches of all time. College basketball coaches. College basketball. Coach Johnson's top four college basketball coaches of all time. So who's your fourth? Well, I think you got to go Wooden first. Okay. Uh, ironically, if he'd have coached in today's world, he would have never made it because I think he went like 13 seasons before he won the championship. Yeah. No one's keeping you 13 seasons at UCLA Even the or whatever it was. NBA, the last right. three NBA 2019-2021, gone. all gone. Right. They so just won a championship. As yeah. good as he was, I don't even know in this world if he makes it to where he ends up winning all the ones that he won. I think Mike Krzyzewski is an obvious choice. And then I think from there it gets kind of muddy mm-hmm. or at least debatable. You know, Bill Self, Roy Williams to me, because I was a part of the uh, Kansas slash North Carolina family for so long uh, when I coached under Bobby Braswell. I think he would be my third, um, but I'm probably super partial there. You know, you can look at Bob Huggins. I, I don't know. Um, Bobby Knight was Indiana. Bobby Knight. <laughs> like, even though I went to Purdue and he was in Indiana, like some of the stories I remember about Bobby Knight when I was coaching at or when I was at Purdue as a student, um, were just incredible because it was such a hated, heated rivalry. Um, and, you know, as soon as he'd walk in, people were screaming, and there was just hatred, him throwing the chair and all that stuff. But he won a lot of national championships. But, again, in this landscape, no way he's coaching. We saw that. Like, right. when he moved to Texas Tech, he'd be, he'd be canceled. you could know. Oh, <laughs> I don't even know if we were allowed to talk about him because he'd be canceled. Uh, but he was probably one of them as well, yeah. What about you? My four, so John Wooden, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't around for that, but just studied and you look at all the stuff he did. The people's lives he changed and how his players talk about him still. Uh, Coach K, for sure, just his legacy and his journey as well. I think he lost for multiple years before he started winning. I think you're right. Duke. And then um, for me, John Thompson's on the I was list. just getting ready to say, I think John Thompson's my fourth when I think about it. Yeah. Because they were just – they were the they villains. The culture, they, yeah, they, they were the, the villains and impacted what it is for black coaches today. For in sure, the NCAA for sure. Um, I think he was a big part of that. And my fourth, this is tough because <laughs> you're. I don't know. Nobody's going to agree with me, and I don't care. It's Ben Holland actually, uh, because what he did at UCLA, like three Final Fours in a row. I think he was 16 NBA players during that time, and I think if he would have just kept going. Kept building what he was. They were going to win one eventually. Ben is such a great coach. He was at Northern Arizona when I was at Cal State Northridge. So mm-hmm. we were the rivals. Oh man, it was like, Talk and every it. game was exactly the same. They would be up twenty at half because all their guys would hit threes. Then we'd press them, come back, and we'd either win at the buzzer or lose at the buzzer. But every game was the same. I can remember playing them in the Big Sky Championship. It was, the game was at Montana, and they were up like 25, and our guys had their heads down. I walked in, and their guy hit like their superstar hit like a 70-footer at the buzzer at halftime. So you're down like 23 you're like on ESPN. And I went in, and I was like, guys, we got them right where we want them. And then we literally missed a shot at the buzzer to go oh, to the NCAA yeah. tournament. But, but, yeah, Ben had some plays that were so unbelievable and so hard to guard. I still remember the names of them. I still remember the misdirection for shooters. Um, Gosh, he was he was a great coach. No, I really like this because that was my generation working yeah. UCLA. So, you know, I don't know all the historical ones necessarily, but that's that's my fourth. Um, 
Now, we like to call this, uh, we, we hop in the DeLorean, we go back in time. Okay. All right, it's called Where Were You When? Okay. Okay, so for you, I gotta think of a good one. Gotta think of a good one. Probably like Noah's Ark, as, Noah's as much Ark. as you call me old. Yeah, where were you when, when Dr. Naismith <laughs> <laughs> created basketball? I was working in a pooch field. <laughs> right. Um, let's see, oh, I wanna do a good college one. Here we go, where were you when? And your thoughts, um, Christian Leitner's game winner was that 92? So, 92, 91, yeah. yeah. So, I, I can actually remember where I was exactly. I was in a Let's hotel room, it. I was in a hotel room, I think in Chicago, watching that. Um, I was just transitioning, I was getting ready to leave Purdue and move to LA to be a coach. I hated Duke, even though I pushed the chefs up there, and I just remember when he. When he caught that ball and he just turned and just knocked it down like hey. ah! <laughs> but yeah i can remember exactly where i was watching on a terrible tv in a hotel room um and just had the same reaction that 80 percent of america has like why christian <laughs> right of all guys right great great story and great moment in college basketball um now today's nba you're watching the playoffs mm -hmm. um who who do you like who do you have going to the eastern and western conference um, I, I, I think the winner of the Boston Miami series, I, I feel like coming out of the East, I think Boston, I just don't know if they have a guy that will take over late in the game, but they're so good early in the game that maybe they may not need that. Miami, I think is the best coached in the NBA. I don't know how they're doing it. And Jimmy Butler is a freak yeah, yeah. in the playoffs. <laughs> Holy cow. I was literally thinking like 10 years ago, no one, he was like a three or a two. And no one, you know, he was like an added bonus. And now he's, you know, dropping Man, 50 pieces yeah. on you. I'm a Laker hater. Um, <laughs> I'm not really a Warrior lover either. I'm a Clipper guy, so I don't want to even go in there. But I think the Warriors overall have more pieces. Mm. Um, I think Darvin Ham's going to be a good coach, but this is his first go around. Steve Kerr's been around. And I just, I, I think LeBron's not as impactful as he was. Um, you, even if you look at his, his game in game two, he has 23, plays almost flawless, um, but it was almost unimpactful. So I feel like it's AD's team now, yep. and he's like this. Yeah, he is. And so I think there's less of that with the Warriors, and I think it's the Warriors in six, and then I think the Warriors are going to win it, which so hurts me to say. You, got them, you think Denver's going to make it up? I think Denver will time. beat Phoenix. Um, I think game three will say a lot in that. Um, but I just don't think Denver's got the savvy and the moxie that the Warriors do. Yeah. Just my opinion. Gotcha. And so Boston, Miami, and then Golden State and make it to the final. Yeah. Makes sense. I got um I have Phoenix. I had Phoenix. It's changed. This is last week. So last week's episode of the I changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I probably I probably actually have um I have Denver making it to the finals because of their wing depth with defense and their flexibility to change positions and Jamal Murray's playing the way he's playing. That's scary to me for any point for sure. to compete with that. Now, Golden State has people who can lock down on that and um, some difference makers, but put that on that, you know, the runner up for the MVP, Jokic, and what he can do. Um, well, and I'm not sure that Golden State has the size to match Jokic either. But they got Draymond. Yeah. And so they have Dray Draymond and Looney who are probably two of the smartest for sure. Smartest defenders I've ever seen play the game. Just watching them no how they can move and switch and 
rotate and Draymond's literally calling plays out there yeah, so on smart. the money. Basketball so, Houston. Or... Yeah, so I think they would be the ones to do it. But ultimately, I think with Jamal Murray playing at a high level and all the other pieces they have that they can outlast because the Warriors bench is so inconsistent. Jordan Poole is inconsistent and whoever else is really coming off the bench. So I want the Lakers to do it, but just looking at basketball here. From the east, I have Boston uh, as well. I think Boston with uh, Brown and, and Tatum. Between one of those two, somebody's taking them last shot. And then they have some, you know, Horford's down there with the vet experience and doing his thing. Marcus Smart it. is a he's a monster. He's that, you know, that enforcer on the court. And he can make shots now that he couldn't do, you know, a few years ago when they were playing LeBron in the Eastern, Eastern Conference Finals. Um, so, no, I think, uh, I think Boston and Denver – Sure. No, probably Boston one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope you're right about Denver because <laughs> I don't like the Warriors or the Lakers. I hope you're right and I get to enjoy the playoffs through June. Right. Right. Coach, pleasure having you on the show. Love you, brother. Love you too. Uh, this was fun. If you guys need to get in contact with Pastor Mike on Instagram, Pastor Mike91. Are you on Twitter? I am Coach Mike1991. There we go. The links will be in the uh, down below. And um, yeah, I'm sure he'd be open to talking to you about his experiences and here to help um, from a pastoring standpoint. And uh, he also runs a, a small recruiting service that he helps out with kids getting to all levels of college. So um, yeah, he's here for you. So thank you again. I hope to see you guys next time. Peace.